This is the third installment in our series called The Struggle is Real. In week one, we unpacked the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. And for me, the big takeaway that week was this, the Lord can't be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. I mean, that's just the reality. The Lord can't be your shepherd until your shepherd is the Lord. Last week, we spent time unpacking the next part. I have everything I need. And for me, the big takeaway last week was this. We need to stop gazing on what we think we want and need, and we need to start grazing on what God has already provided for us. Because God gives us everything we need, and we just need to learn that contentment. We need to learn to be satisfied in the Lord and with what he has for us. And so that brings us to today. And this morning, we're going to begin to look at verse 2 and then the first part of verse 3. And this is how it reads. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me to calm waters. He gives me new strength. So let me ask you, can anyone here today use some refreshing green pastures? Anybody need that today? I know I do. Does anybody here today need some just quiet waters where you can just relax and rest? You need that? I do. How about new strength? I know I can. And here's why I say that. Because, man, our lives tend to be anything but quiet. They're anything but peaceful. And sometimes they're anything but strengthened or renewed. In fact, the modern American is pictured as a person running up an escalator. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever done it? Come on. Be honest. I mean, we all do it. I mean, we're in such a hurry in our life today that literally we, we run up an escalator and from what I understand it was designed and built so you wouldn't have to do that you know but we take we take away from what it was designed for and decide this is what we need at the time because we're in such a hurry and so we do that and if and if you don't have to be and you don't have to be a prophet to know that technology has made three things happen in the world around us first of all our world has gotten smaller I mean, the reality is it's smaller. I mean, it's amazing to me, even though Brandon and Julie and our grandkids are back in the States now for a while, uh, uh, through November, um, it's amazing to me that at any point we can get on FaceTime or Skype and see them and talk to them. I mean, our world has gotten smaller. Second of all, our, uh, second of all, our world has gotten more complex. And then thirdly, our world has speeded up. I mean, the reality is you live at a much faster pace than your parents did, and your kids will live at an even faster pace than you're living right now. I mean, think about it. We're frequent flyers who eat fast food, drive in rush hour traffic, send packages by Federal Express, use cell phones by Sprint, manage our personal finances on Quicken, and diet with Slim Fast and swim in trucks made by Speedo. <laughs> now, I know um, that may not be a pretty picture for some, but um, <laughs> here's the thing. Most of us think that we, we have things under control. We, I mean, we think we have things in balance. We think that we can continue to add more stuff to our lives without it affecting how we live those lives. In his book, Margin, Dr. Richard Swenson writes, often used descriptors 
of our society include active, busy, driven, fatigued, tired, exhausted, weary, burnout, anxious, overloaded, and stressed. I mean, just hearing those things make you tired, doesn't it? He goes on to say, seldom do you hear our society described as well-rested. We are a tired generation, one of which hurry sickness has become a way of life. He writes, our carburetors are set on high and our gears are stuck in overdrive. Our lives are nonstop. We have a hurry sickness in our culture. I mean, so much so that when other cultures encounter Americans, they don't know what to think of us. I mean, a lot of cultures around the world are, are just a lot more laid back and, and a lot more chilled than we are, than our hurry, fast-paced, nonstop culture in this country. That's why hurried sickness describes most, if not all of us in here today. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you a, just a simple test that I gave you two years ago. It just helps us to understand how much hurry sickness we really have and how much out of control our life really is. And so as we go through these, you can think about the ones that apply to you, but I guarantee you for the most of us, you're going to find at least half of these or more apply to you. First one, are you haunted by a fear that there are not enough hours in the day to do what you need, what you think needs to be done? Anybody? Come on, let's be honest. You bet we do. How about this? Do you find yourself nodding faster or using hand motions when listening to someone else who is talking slowly to encourage them to speed things up? You ever done that? You bet. We do that. How about this one? Have you ever pulled up to a stoplight where there was a car in each lane in front of you and you quickly evaluated which lane had the oldest driver in it so that you could get behind the other car? Come on, who's done it? Let's, get, let's be honest. Yeah, and so the rest of you just lying to me. Come on. How about this? At the grocery store, if you have a choice between two checkout lines, do you start counting the number of people in each line, then multiply that by the number of items in their cart to see which line is faster? Do it? Yeah. And fifthly, and while you are in line, do you keep track of the person in the other line that would have been you? Yeah, we do that, don't we? Or how about this? Have you counted the number of items in the person's cart in front of you in the express line to make sure they have 15 items or less. Sure we do. How about you guys? Have you ever thought about rewiring your microwave because you thought it cooked too slow? Now that may not affect you unless you're Tim Taylor, but how about this one? Have you ever finished getting dressed, brushed your teeth, put on your makeup, or shaved while stopped at a red light? Come on. I, I know a lot of you have. Now, just in the last two weeks, there's been at least three to four occasions where I've either looked in the rearview mirror and saw this or, or looked to the side and saw this, and I saw people or, or ladies putting on their makeup while at a red light. One time, a guy had an electric razor in his hand and was shaving while at a red light. I mean, that characterizes our society. Or how about this? And while in church, have you ever checked the time when the pastor started preaching to see if the service was going to run late? ever done that? Probably don't want to admit it, but I've got to actually say that I do that. <laughs> I got a clock right here, but um, I need to see if I'm going to run late, you know. Now, we can, we can laugh at these partly because we know that there's some truth in them, but here's a truth that's difficult to hear, and it's this. When we live our lives in a constant state of hurry, we cannot hear God. 
When, when we live our lives at a constant, hurried pace, in which we just busy ourselves so much, the reality is we will not be able to hear God. It's not that he's not speaking. It's not that he's not there. We just can't hear him through the busyness of our lives. You see, the problem is if we're not careful, we can become so busy with the everyday things of life that we neglect the most important things. Stephen Convey writes in his book, First Things First, he says, people expect us to be busy and overworked. It's because it's become a status symbol in our society. If we're busy, we're important. If we're not busy, we're embarrassed to admit it. Busyness is where we get our security. It's validating, popular, and pleasing. And it's also a good excuse for not dealing with the things that are most important in our lives. And here's why we need to understand that. It's because of this. If we are not careful in our attempts to grow and serve in our relationship with Jesus, if we're not careful over time, the boundaries of our life can slowly become blurred. They begin to be blurred. Bill Hybels described it this way. He said, I was doing the work of God at a pace that was destroying the work of God in me. Think about that. He says, I was doing the work of God at, a, at such a pace that literally it was destroying the work of God in me. The work that God wanted to do in me. Because I wasn't giving time and allowing God to just restore me and refresh me. In my life. So what's the answer? Well here in verses 2 and 3. Or the first part of 3 in Psalm 23. David brings us back to what's most important. It's finding those places of rest that renews and strengthens our souls. And how do we find them? Well, look at what he wrote. He says, first of all, he lets me rest in green pastures. He lets me rest in green pastures. You know, it's not easy to get a sheep to lie down in order to rest. In fact, sheep will refuse to lie down unless four requirements are met. The first one is this, they must be free from all fear. Second of all, there must not be any tension between members of the flock. Three, there must not be, they must not be aggravated with flies or parasites. And four, um, they must be free from hunger. And here's the thing, it's the shepherd's job to see that his flock is free from anything that would keep him or keep them from lying down to rest. Now here's the cool thing that as I was reading about these sheep, this was the cool thing that I saw. Nothing calms and quiets a flock of sheep like seeing their shepherd in the field with them. Think about it. Nothing brings calmness and quiets the flock like seeing the presence of the shepherd. In his book, A Sheep Looks at Psalm 23, or A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, Philip Keller writes, he said, I came to realize nothing so quieted and reassured my sheep as to see me in the field. The presence of their master and protector put them at ease as nothing else could. Whenever I came into view, then my presence attracted their attention. The sheep quickly forgot their foolish rivalries and stopped their fighting. You see, the shepherd's presence 
made all the difference. It enabled them to lie down, and it enabled them to experience rest. And like sheep, we are also easily frightened. And like sheep, we are also easily distracted. We live in a very uncertain world. I mean, the next hour literally could bring disaster. But the thing we can never forget is this. Nothing will quiet our souls like knowing that our shepherd is near. And understanding that. So maybe this is the question we need to ask today, and it's this. Does the presence of your shepherd make the difference in your life when the struggle gets real? I mean, does the presence of the shepherd, our God, does his presence make a difference in in your life when you're going through those stressful moments, those times when you struggle, those times when life is really real? Or... Are you so busy gazing that you don't even realize he's there? Where are you at? Now, just like sheep, I also believe that there are times in our life when our shepherd has to make us lie down for a while. In fact, some of your translations that you probably learned as a kid would have said, The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And why does he do that? Well, it's because we're stubborn. (laughs) It's because we're prideful. It's because we want to do life our way. And so it's in those times of forced rest where we learn the important boundaries that I believe help us discover what we need to restore and refresh and renew our spirits and renew our souls. It's these boundaries that are intentional insertions of space that break up the relentless metronomes of our lives. They create space for our shepherd to do his work and to infuse our spirits with new strength. But here's the problem. The problem is we tend to convince ourselves that we can go at full speed ahead all the time without having adequate downshifts that bring some space into our lives. You know, after three-plus decades of ministry, Bill Hybels goes on to say this. He says, sitting down before our God with our calendar and a submitted spirit is one of the holiest things we can do. He says, putting together a schedule is not so much about determining what you're trying to get done. It's deciding who you want to become. He said, most of us sat down with a list of responsibilities and we tried to cram everything that we need to do into our schedule. But if we were to ask, who do I want to become over time? What kind of husband? What kind of father? What kind of friend? What is it then that needs to be out of my schedule so that I could become that kind of a person? What kind of space or boundary needs to be put into my schedule so that the shepherd can do his restorative work in me? Wow. There's a lot of validity in that, isn't there? There's a lot of truth in that. Because if you were honest and you actually opened up the schedule of your life and you put it out before you, is there space in there for you and God to just be you and God? 
Is there space in there for you to really be refreshed and restored and renewed? Having those times of rest. Or is your schedule so busy that you've actually excluded God out of it? And then you wonder why you're so tired and so weary and you're struggling. It's because you've, you've given no time, no space for the shepherd of your life to come in and renew your spirit and to renew your soul. Great passage, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved in quietness and confidence is your strength. But get this, but you would have none of it. You would have none of it. When I read that, I realized the problem, and the problem is us. We're the problem. You, you see, lying down in those pastures that God provides comes down to us. We have to choose to listen. We have to choose to lie down. We have to choose to set those boundaries to include that space for God to give us the rest and the restoration that our souls need. We have to choose. So he lets us lie down in those incredibly green pastures. But, but the second thing is this. He leads me to calm water. He leads me to calm water. Calm waters are waters that flow very slowly and calmly. They bring much peace and rest to one's spirits. One of the most relaxing things in life, I believe, is the sound of, a, of, of water, a bubbling brook or flowing streams or, or just a fountain that's just flowing. It's, it's very calming. In fact, it brings you to a place of calm where you can focus without any distractions. Years ago, Lucy and I would take the boys uh, at least every summer to a conference, and we'd love to go to Colorado and just stay in the mountains, and we'd love to get a cabin that had a, that had a stream flowing by it so that we could just have it all open and at night just listen because it would bring calming and just help you sleep. It would bring the rest that you need. In, Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the words for calm waters literally mean restful waters. Our shepherd wants to lead us to a place of rest, a place of trust, a place where we rely on and focus on without any distraction. Him. Here's the thing. I believe our shepherd desires to lead us beside still waters so that the waters of our soul can become still in themselves. In fact, in Psalm 46.10, we read, Be still and know that I am God. A lady by the name of Ruth Barton shared some very wise counsel that she received from her spiritual mentor, and I really like this. Listen to what she writes. She said, this is what her mentor told her. She said, Ruth, you are like a jar of river water that's being shaken. What you need to do is to sit still long enough so that the sediment can settle and the water of your soul can become clear. Think about that. And then ask this question. Answer this question. Does that describe your life? 
I mean, are things unclear? Are things cloudy? Are things confusing? Because you live your life in a constant state of being shaken up. And there's never a moment and never a time when you're just still before the Lord. You're just shaken all the time. And so things are cloudy. Things are unclear. Do you need to stop and be still so that the things in your life can settle? And your soul can have a clearing in it. So that you can begin to see what God has for you. God wants us to be still. He wants us to lay down in the pastures of his word and feed on him so that we can know him and so that he can do his work in us. And then the third thing he says here is this. When we allow him to do these first two, he says, he gives me new strength. Your translation may say, he restores my soul. This phrase continues the same thought of rest. The rest that God provides for his sheep. Taken in its most literal sense, this expression conveys David's thought that God renews, that God strengthens, and that God sustains our life. And as we surrender to the leading of our shepherd, as we lie down in the pastures of his word, and we silence our lives long enough to drink from the calm waters, he will provide us with the strength we need in order to be refreshed in order to be renewed in spirit. And here's the cool thing. This same theme that David began, and actually he didn't be, it really didn't begin with him. He began with God even farther back. But this same theme is carried into the New Testament through our shepherd Jesus. And so Jesus gives us these amazing words in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Look at what he says. Come to me. All of you who are tired from carrying heavy loads. You may, and you can put on there, come to me. All of you who are tired of, this, of having the struggle be so real in your life. And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in spirit. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. For the yoke I will give you is easy and the load I will put on you is light. Here's the thing, or here's the key, I think, if you want to find rest. And it's this. It begins when you come to Jesus. That's the beginning point. That's the starting point. You have to come to Jesus. You have to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. You see, there's only one thing that can give your soul the rest that it needs in order to restore itself. And that's a personal relationship with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can give us the inner peace and the stress relief that we need in order to survive the struggles of life. A lot of you know this passage, you probably memorized it, but I love what Isaiah writes when he says, he energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to dropouts. This is the message Bible, the way it puts it, and I love how it puts this. For even young people tire and drop out, young folk in their prime stumble and fall, but those who wait on, upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. You see, here's another key for restoration of the soul. And it's this. 
you have to wait on God. You've got to wait on God. And how do you wait on God? Well, it's getting away by yourself. It's, it's lying down in those green pastures by those calm waters. It's being quiet long enough before him that we can actually begin to hear his still small voice as he speaks to us. I love how the Message Bible also paraphrases Matthew 6, 6, because this is really what we need to do if we're going to wait on God. Look at what it says. It says, find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Anybody ever role play before God? We probably all do. Just be there as simply and as honest as you can manage, and the focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to, look at this, to sense his grace. And here's the sad reality. Some of you have never done this. Or you haven't done it in weeks, months, maybe years. And if that's the case, it's no wonder that you're running on empty. It's no wonder that the struggles of life are taking you out physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You need to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. You need, you need to spend time alone with him in silence, in prayer, and in reading the word. You need to allow his spirit to infuse yours so that your soul can be refreshed and renewed and, and you can have that new strength to continue and to carry on. Again, this is something I've, I've needed for the last several weeks and I'm so glad we're going through this. I want you to know all week, especially from about Wednesday on, I struggled with how I wanted to end this. I wasn't sure. I didn't know. I wasn't sure what God was saying to me. I had several different, actually, endings. I'd sent Judy's one totally different last night. Until this morning, when I got to my office, and I had an email and April said that I could say her name. This was from April Fran. And when I read through this, I said, God, what amazing timing you have. You know what we need to hear even before I do. And I said, thank you for sending me this. And so I, it was actually longer than this, so I kind of shortened it a little. Kept her words, just shortened it a little. And then I came over and I said, would you mind me sharing this? And I actually had done it in a way that no names would have been mentioned. But she said, she doesn't mind people know this is her story. But I want, you, I want to share this with you. Because I think it will help us to understand what, what we've been talking about this morning. She writes, I'm so excited about this sermon series on Psalm 23. This passage holds a very dear and personal space in my heart. By the age of seven, I had this passage memorized, but it was just that, memorized, stored away. By 2008, our lives were seemingly perfect. Two kids with one on the way, a house in a great neighborhood, family close by, and great friends. In January of 2008, everything turned upside down. I was five months pregnant with a baby boy. One Sunday after church, I started having contractions. They progress progressively got worse, and I drove to the ER to see what was going on. 
I found out that night that our baby had passed away in my womb and I was in labor about to deliver him. I never knew loss like that. The loss of the what ifs, the loss of hope. It's hard to tell people what it's like to lose someone you've never got to know but knew so intimately for five months. The next year was hard. It was rocky and tumultuous as I wrestled with God. I I went through the typical stages of grief, eventually coming to acceptance of the Lord's plan in my life. But the Lord was faithful in that year and brought me even closer to him in that valley that I could ever have imagined. A year later, my husband Brian and I found out we were expecting again. God was taking us down a road I didn't understand. Eight eight weeks later, I miscarried. I fell into a place of anger with God that I never experienced before. Sorrow and anger are a deadly combination that turns into bitterness. The two months that followed, I got rid of all things related to babies. My crib, swing, high chair, I, I donated all of it. I was going to do everything in my power to never be pregnant again. I always had heard the phrase, God's timing is not our own. I never understood that saying until three months after the miscarriage when I found out I was pregnant again. I was so angry. I knew that I was going to lose the baby, and, I, and now all I had to do was wait for it. I had lost faith in God to provide. Each month that passed being pregnant felt like a ticking time bomb. For eight months, I was in a struggle with Jesus, constantly wondering that if I lost another child, could my faith survive? I kept coming to church, sitting on the pew. I stopped singing. I just sat, broken, soaking in what the scripture was saying. On my 35th week of pregnancy, my worst fear happened. In non-medical terms, the part of pregnancy that keeps the baby alive started to tear away and rupture. I was hemorrhaging, and she wasn't moving. 9-11 was called, and the ambulance came to take me to the hospital. Not only did I think she was going to die, but I thought I was going to die as well. Here is where Psalm 23 comes in. In the ambulance, it was It was almost like a huge bubble of peace surrounded me. I was completely calm. It truly was a peace that passes understanding. But then in the silence, a very clear voice started speaking to me, saying, April, the Lord is your shepherd. You have everything you need in him. He will lead you beside still waters and restore your soul. Even now, April, when you are literally in the valley of the shadow of death, fear not. I am with you to comfort and guide you all the days of your life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you wherever you are. Psalm 23 was spoken over me the entire ride in the ambulance. He never said, April, your troubles are over or you're going to live Or the baby will be okay. He never said that. He just said, I am with you. I am with you always. At that very moment, I knew the answer to the question I'd been asking for eight months. Is God enough? Can I trust God even when my life is falling apart? 
Can I believe he is a good God even when things are awful? Can he lead me through the valley of the shadow of death and still be an amazing God? And the answer was yes. Yes, God was bigger than all of it. Once I got to the hospital, I found out my baby girl was still alive and I was rushed into surgery. I, to this day, will never understand the journeys God takes us through. But the one thing I do know is that the journey, if we let it, leads us to him in ways that we can't even imagine. If we, if we trust his voice, he will lead us through the valley every time. Psalm 23, memorized as a child and stored away, became my source of peace and comfort in the midst of chaos. I learned after that moment to sing again, to not only sit in the pews and soak it in, but to be there to worship, praising the God who makes beauty rise from the ashes. Let me ask you, what's God speaking to you today? What's he speaking into your heart? Are you just so hurried and busy that there is no space left for him to speak? My challenge to you is this. Adam's going to come and he's going to play. And we're just going to do a couple things. So I'll explain it in a minute. But, but first and foremost, if you've never surrendered to Christ, then this is your time. And the worship team can go ahead and come up as well. This is your time to just come to Jesus. Because as we said, that's the beginning point. You got to come to him. But if you just need prayer today, then my encouragement is to come and sit on one of the chairs down front. And we, and we will encourage you and pray with you. But we also want to do this. I want to give you a chance to just come and kneel and just pray. Adam's, he's just going to play in the background and then... Uh, after a time of praying, Adam, I'll let you know. I'll just kind of motion to you when it's time to sing. And they're going to start singing. And then as they sing, you can, if you're up front praying, you can gradually make your way to the, back to your seat. But we just want to give you a chance to just open your heart up to God. And whatever is on that heart, you just come. Let's reflect. Let's reflect.